Jenny Dutson, a neurodiverse 30-something who is obsessed with organisational psychology and welcome to Lightbulb Moments, the podcast about all things psychology. Today we're joined by Mark O'Brien, who is the CEO and founder of Warman O'Brien. He is also our triathlete. Mark, tell us about yourself. Yeah, I'm Mark O'Brien. I'm a CEO and the founder of Warman O'Brien, based in Twickenham, Southwest London. Been in recruitment for over 21 years. Irish originally. I love my sports, uh, rugby, football, uh, married with one child. And um, yeah, we've been in business uh, together uh, with my wife for over six years now. On the way. At the time, I think it was uh, excitement in, in many ways. I still took quite a while to get used to the fact that I didn't work on Fridays. I think you have to dress to impress, but ultimately you've got to know your audience as well. Should you ever bend the truth when you're in an interview? Well, Mark, thank you so much for, for joining me. I know you're joining me virtually today. Where are you based? Where are you at right now? We are in our uh, headquarters here at Warner Bryan in Twickenham on the southwest of London, so we're about 25 minutes from Heathrow. Is that where you've always been based? Uh, in the Twickenham area, we kind of moved from a shed to a warehouse to an actual office in the last uh, six years. So we're yeah, right next to the Twickenham station, so a bit easier to commute from for uh, most of our employees who live in southwest London. And you're so you're the you're the CEO, you're the founder. How many people have you gone from to like how many are you at now? Yeah, so set up the business in 2017, uh, myself and my wife, Caroline O'Brien, who was an associate director of biostatistics at IQVIA uh, for 15 years. So we set up the business together. She was our industry expert and obviously myself being the recruitment expert. So uh, we're now up to 20. One, 22 employees and we've got another four starting in the next uh, four to six weeks. Nice, nice. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about four day week because that's something that I know that you guys do, and I think it's really interesting because lots of big organisations are asking how does it actually work. Um, so we're going to kind of touch on that, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about recruitment as well because whilst you're here and you're our expert, why would we not ask you questions? Um, so uh, if we could start with, um, let's start with the four-day week, because the idea of the four-day week, I think, is something that people struggle with. And, and tell me how you do it as well. First of all, is it people work four days but get the same salary? Like, how does the four-day work work for you? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, we've implemented it just over 18 months ago. It was probably around the same time as the kind of UK pilot program was coming along and um, myself and Carla, we had been speaking about it before that, I had done a lot of research on it. Um, and then, yeah, we went live probably late February of 2022. Um, so how it works is, um, yeah, I guess some of the questions people ask is, what does that mean for myself as an employee? But um, they do work a four day a week. Um, they work similar, same hours as what they've been doing, but they do get the same holiday and pay. So it didn't decrease either the holiday or pay and um yeah they work over four day a week rather than a five day a week nice and can they choose which day it is that they have off i uh, know we've kind of wanted to make it consistent across the business so that our uk team do monday to thursday and have friday off and we also have an office in new zealand and they recruit for the u.s market and um, which is obviously they're pretty much a day ahead so they actually work uh, have uh, monday off so they start work uh, tuesday to friday so that's the only slight difference between the two teams at the moment mm. and 
how how have your clients responded to it? Because I know that one of the the big concerns for you know we both uh, know the the pharmaceutical industry quite well. How have big clients reacted to it because of that concern around? Well, we can't just go to a client and say we don't have any meetings on X day. Yeah, I guess there's a, there's that fluidity within the within the organization that yes, it's work Monday to Thursday, but if on the certain circumstance where a client would say, Mark, um, can we speak on a Friday? You, as a, a director or manager, whoever maybe, you have to decide whether you need to take that call on a Friday or whether you can leave it until the Monday. So there are occasions where you will either need to speak to a candidate to prep for an interview on the Monday if you haven't done it before that, or otherwise you you might take that call. But ultimately, yeah, you don't tend to tend to work on Fridays. Um, I guess you got to get the balance between um, taking a brief from a client, whatever day that may be. Uh, I guess it's a bit different between contract and permanent. So on the permanent side, you tend to have a bit more time. There isn't the same either sense of urgency to get um, uh, CDs over to a client within 24 hours, for example. Um, so I guess, there's, yeah, there's less pressure from that perspective. I think sometimes um, you've got to be a bit more um, flexible and uh, uh, if you're working contract roles. Um, but normally we don't tend to work roles where you get a brief role on a Friday and then you need somebody to start on Monday. So I guess that's where we're quite lucky in the fact that um, uh, clients understand that you send a brief during the week, they're not, they won't expect you to start on Monday. So you've got a bit more time to get your uh, shortness of candidates, uh, prepare them, send them across to your client. And then obviously if they do want to come back relatively quickly to arrange interviews. Oh, nice. How was it received by your um, by your employees at the time? Um, at the time, I think it was uh, excitement in in many ways. Um, I guess probably what what was what was going to happen. Um, I suppose some of the unknowns. Um, I guess when it, we did implement it in the first few months, especially for myself, I was still trying to. I still took quite a while to get used to the fact that I didn't work on Fridays. So I was probably. Um, uh, different in some ways whereas I, I probably still did a lot of work on a Friday because I wasn't very well disciplined or organized at the beginning knowing actually I need to not stay not not going into the office but just um, checking my emails every five minutes etc so it did take a while like quite a while to get used to the fact that um yeah you you, you didn't work on Fridays <laughs> you were one of the late adopters were you <laughs> definitely compared to probably some of the, the consultants um just because I did not I realized actually what am I going to do on a Friday so uh, uh, but I think over time I've been a lot more organized I've got um, things I do on a Friday now so I'm not I'm looking at my phone at any point so I'm a lot more disciplined and uh, more structured that um, yeah I'm away from my desk I'm not in the office I'm not near my phone etc so um, yeah I can actually think mentally switch off really Nice. And you, um, so I'm going to slightly squirrel. Um, and for those people listening, when I talk about squirrel, it's this idea that I see something out of the corner of my eye, go to a different place, but then we do get back on track eventually. Um, so a slight squirrel for you. Uh, my, my question is, what do you do on a Friday? And I feel like the answer might be triathlon practice, but what do you do on a Friday now that you're not working there? Yeah, certainly in the last few months, I've been um, doing a lot more training. I've a half Ironman coming up in four weeks, well, just over four weeks' time. So that's actually taken up half of my time on a Friday. So ultimately, what I tend to do is um, get up in the morning. Uh, I drop my son at school at 8, 8 a.m. And then normally tend to head off uh, on a bike ride down to Surrey Hills, usually, and get anything from two to three hours or up to five hours cycling um, just to, yeah, no obviously completely switch off. So that takes up a fair amount of time and I'm going to get back in 
um, have lunch, etc. Then you know, either potentially between myself and I pick up our, our son, and then um, we do do stuff together in the uh, late afternoon. And wow, it sounds like there's a huge um, uh, well-being piece to doing a four-day week because you can go and dedicate four or five hours to cycling. How much of the decision, and and because you do work, you know, you own your business with your wife. How much of the decision to go to a four-day week? was a personal decision versus a, a corporate decision? I think it was a combination of it. I think um, ultimately, I think since COVID and uh, the changes that have happened and uh, not just pivoting, but obviously, um, yeah, what, is, what, what, what does it mean to um, be a, a working from home, to be full-time in the office? And I think trying to get the balance between, well, obviously maintaining the culture, but we felt obviously that um, actually we can still allow people to work from home a bit more, but then again, obviously, how how are we trying to get their work life balance? And um, certainly, um, thinking about it more and doing a lot more research. Um, personally, actually, being able to a bit more time with family, and um, bit of time from from me time, um, was very very important. But also, when you're trying to retain and um, attract good people, um, and but obviously get the balance between our work life balance, it was important that um, yeah, we did that. And um, so definitely more of a, a joint decision rather than yeah. Us as, us as owners uh, rather than just about um, the employees as well. So it's definitely getting the balance right. Yeah. And you, so you mentioned um, the work-life balance. There are, have you, do you have anecdotal evidence or do you do things like engagement surveys? Have you seen any sort of benefits, like either tangible or intangible in terms of um, a engagement, productivity, happiness, those kinds of things with your teams? Um, yeah, we did. A, we started to do a great a place to work survey um, um, just on the anniversary, just before the anniversary uh, of when we rolled it out. And um, yeah, the feedback was very, very positive. And, and the evidence was that um, our, our employees loved working for Warren and Brian. They felt happier, motivated, felt um, they were a lot more productive when they were in the office, but also be able to switch off a bit more when they weren't working. So I guess it, it um, reflected that work work life balance, which we what we wanted to do. But um, it's, yeah, uh, it's trying to get the balance right because yeah, we still work in a high performance sales environment. It's a target driven environment, and you know we have to work with our clients. We there's certain candidates obviously you need to prep for interviews, etc. So it was getting that definitely getting that balance right. But um, yeah, getting those results from that survey was very very important to us, and um, yeah, very very proud that we. Um, have been certified within that and also in the last uh actually today we just got announced that um we're now a great place to work for women as well um i think we ranked 39 of the small companies as well so um wow. i definitely think it just shows you that um yeah, the value that we place on our employees and that they're a fundamental part of our business and i guess when we're speaking to clients is talent is one of the most important things that you have within your business so we know that from our clients but also making sure we reflect that internally here within the company Mm, that sounds like a, an episode all in, all in itself to talk about kind of the great places to work for women, especially with the um, the flexibility bill that's just uh, been spoken about a lot on social media as well. So mm, very interesting. Yeah, indeed. The, flexib- def- the other thing we've done within the flexibility is it's trying to um, um, entrust people to be able to do what they need to do themselves. And I guess giving not giving them excuses to say they can't go to the gym or they don't have time to, at lunchtime. So what we've done is we've created a flexibly flexible hours where you start earlier, you finish earlier, and if you want to go to the, to the gym at lunch, you can take an hour and a half at lunch, and obviously make up for it um, as well. So it's really kind of making sure that um, we leave no stone unturned that people can 
go to the gym or switch off at lunchtime and not feel like they're just working the whole day, but at least, and obviously they, they just make up for that as well. So flexibility was a, is a big part of um, the drive of how we run our business. It feels like there's this, um, like, treat people like adults and people will be adults and trust that they can. It feels like there's a lot of trust involved with with your role and, and Warman O'Brien. I mean, I've been in recruitment for over 20 years and I guess looking from experience and, and, and knowing uh, lots of businesses and when we've interviewed candidates who've come from, from, from other recruitment companies, I guess the, the, the old mantra is you work till six, seven, eight o'clock, you work five days a week, they were, you were in early as well and there was kind of almost a work hard, play hard, but um, I think you get to a certain, it, that's fine for a while and it, it's exciting, especially maybe work in the city, but I think it gets to the point where you do you do end up burning out and then you maybe fall out of love of recruitment and um, I've been doing it for over 20 years and I love love recruitment, I love working with people, I love and being able to help clients and candidates and obviously uh, looking internally as well. So um, definitely feel like um, it's, it's, it's changing and then we want to reflect that as well and um, putting that trust in people that listen and ultimately you, get, you, you, you shorten your, your week, but obviously make sure you're productive, make sure you, you get yourself organized, make sure you've got your day plan set up so that obviously on, on a Friday then you'll be able to switch off and, and have a long weekend ultimately. Yeah, I think that there's this. Um, so you just touched on uh, the the idea of recruitment, right? And the idea of recruiters, and it is very much kind of work hard, play hard. When you have a workforce that is, or a team that is remote, and then you have flexible working, and you have a four day week, how do you ensure that people are? And we've talked about trust. How do you ensure that people are doing what they should be doing, and they're not maybe taking advantage of the the system? Um, ultimately, it's in the results within the business. So you all reflect back to that one. Um, I think it's important that you, you um, have have your plan set out during the week and what you're planning to do. We have uh, weekly reviews of what, what we were set out to do as well. Um, and we follow through with that and we make sure that um, if anybody is, is not at the level that we should be, is what support they need. It's all about supporting people. If they're behind what they said they wanted to do or are planning to do, then we definitely support them. So there's a lot of as I mentioned, trust, but also if, we, if we're planning and organizing on, on a regular basis, we feel like we're supporting the, the, the team in many ways. And if they're even slightly behind, we can we feel like we're going to help them. Um, but ultimately, it's, it is down to the results. Um, we have seen improved productivity or um, we've had record quarters since we implemented as well. So we've seen tangible results in the fact that um, even on a four-day week, we still uh, have had some uh, exceptional performances from from team matches here within New Zealand as well. Nice. Treat people like adults and they will be adults. <laughs> the majority of times, listen, it doesn't work out every time. Don't get me wrong, but in the majority of cases, I've been very, very proud of the team and, and actually they bought into it. And you, you, as I said, you treat people like adults and they come back with even better and they, they appreciate even more. They appreciate the fact that... Um, you give them plenty of flexibility and um, but obviously you do expect a re- return and people are more accountable for what they do and uh, ultimately you can see that in results as well. Mm. So it sounds like it very much sounds like it's a, a win-win for everyone Um I do want to move on to talk I do want to geek out a little bit with you about recruitment but before we do that I'd love to know um, did you make any mistakes so if you've got organizations or people that are listening that want to implement a four-day week any mistakes or pitfalls that people should be aware of? Um, I guess, in, if I go from personal experience, 
the first few months, I still didn't think I was not working on a Friday, even though there was nobody else working. So I would sometimes come into the office or I would go to the gym and come into the office. And I ended up wasn't as productive. And I felt like just guess I was there. I was because it was convenient to be there. And I, was I working? But ultimately, I wasn't. I wasn't being as effective. So um, that was definitely one thing from a personal level that actually to be able to switch off, have things organized on a Friday and have that medium so that was definitely the biggest learning for myself and um, but also the team I think getting to the point where people were had planned in advance uh, at the start of the week what they were planning to do for the week rather than kind of um seeing how seeing how it went and actually well I can still work on a Friday if I need to nobody's stopping me not working I can bring my laptop home so I guess from a consultant point of view it's getting them out of the habit about yes you can bring your laptop home but the whole idea is, is to switch off, to try and switch off as much as you can. If on, on certain situations you, you need to get things done, ultimately you will do. But ultimately, I think, yeah, it was getting the mindset, I guess, that actually the whole idea was to, to not work on a Friday, is to actually enjoy the long weekend, be able to do what you need to do, whether you're with yourself or, or um, your partner or whoever maybe as well. Yeah, and that so that really resonates with me because um, I'm an absolute workaholic and that's because I love my job. Um, but I am the person who checks my emails whilst I'm on holiday. Like, I just have to. I, I get stressed out when I see that little red dot. Um, so I don't know if I, I love the idea of a four-day week, but I probably would be like you. I'm not sure that I could... I'm not sure that I could actually do a four day week without feeling that need to almost that pull. I often think that um, like work to me is like the pull of social media to other people. Um, I'm always like, oh, has someone responded or do I need to do something for, for a client? So um, I think we're probably in the in the same boat with that. I think, I think initially it was the visibility because if on any day, any day of the week I wasn't in the office or I was working from home, I felt that nobody thought I was working. I thought, well, he's the owner of the business, so he's it's a it's a lifestyle business. He's not working. That psychologically, that was in my head, whether I was working or not. Yeah. And I, and then on the Friday, the biggest change was actually I didn't need to be in the office because there's nobody else in the office. So actually, and I could do if I did need to get some work done, I could do it. But I had that freedom, that flexibility, and that made a big difference whether I needed to or not need to. And and that made it, yeah. And, and I know what you mean. You're not going to lie and say, oh, we never checked our emails on a Friday. That does happen. But ultimately, I think it's just having that flexibility. And it just rather than, okay, well, where is uh, Jennifer on a Friday? And why should not respond to my emails? And I need to speak to her about a certain thing as well. So I think changing that, I think that has made a difference, even if yet yeah, not every time you're, you, you completely switch off. Yeah. And I guess if you came from that work hard, play hard recruitment perspective, then that's probably why it's it's difficult to do that. So if we move into then this idea of recruitment, you started out as a as a recruiter. Um, tell me a little bit about how you started that journey. Um, I, I mean, originally from Ireland, uh, I've been in the UK for over 21 years. I had done sales roles uh, in the US, in Australia, New Zealand. Uh, so when I came to the UK in 2002, I had a degree, but um, had, had a mixture of roles, mainly within sales. So people had said to me, why don't you just, why, why wouldn't you do recruitment? So I didn't know much about it. I thought you just put an advert up and people respond to it and then you, you get paid for it. But um, it was certainly not d- different to that. Um, and then when I started my recruitment career, I worked across a number of different function, uh, uh, specialist areas within IT, et cetera. It was only um, I kind of fell into pharmaceutical and, and learned a bit more about what they did within 
statistical programming, biostatistics, working with a number of big pharmaceutical companies that kind of really started to specialize within that. So, um, yeah, I've been very fortunate that, yeah, pretty much in most of the time in recruitment has been working within the, the life science industry. And, uh, yeah, I'm very grateful that I fell into an industry that, um, yeah, I think we can get a lot back from. It's, um, so while I have you here as my captive audience, this is this is where the geeky bit starts. Mark, are you ready? Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So from a from a psychology standpoint, there's this notion called the primary recency effect, and the idea is that people will typically remember the first and the last of something, but not the stuff in the middle or the people in the middle. And in terms of recruitment sometimes that can be the case as well, right? So if somebody's, if you've got a manager that's seeing four, five, six candidates in any given day, they're going to remember the first person and they're also going to remember the last person. So when I say that to you, what what do you think about that? Um, it can be true um, in, in many instances, depending, especially if you're interviewing people uh, one after the other. And I think the challenge is you you come into one interview, you finish that interview, you go straight into the next buddy and you don't get enough time to actually think about um, what feedback you're going to give to that person. So um, there's a number of different number of things you can do to try and avoid that. I think, I guess one of them would be to, um, to have notes written down after each one and obviously be able to take breaks before you go into the next one because if you don't write the, those notes down, then ultimately you, when you forget later on, you, you might not be able to remember everything you talked about that particular person and then you end up might you might miss out on the best candidate which is what you want to do when in, in any interview um thing but uh i guess the other thing is make sure you have the a clear um uh, system in place so and, and having level play, level playing field uh, so what i mean by that is having structured um questions structured interview format uh, and obviously having a uh, criteria as well about um how you'd um, um uh, how you would actually basically confirm what they um, if they got 10 out of 10 in this question, et cetera, so, so, so definitely having those kind of things will definitely help you negate the fact that um, you would choose the last person you interviewed or even the first person. Hmm. From a, um, a, so that's interesting from an organizational or a hiring manager perspective. If you were going to give me advice, let's say I knew that I was going in for a role. Um, it was, I was like third out of six. Um, what advice would you give me? What, what's your best recruiter advice to, to someone to stand out if they're right in the middle of the pack? I guess the thing about it is you, um, you got to prepare. Preparation is probably crucial anyway. We And when we're preparing candidates for interviews, we do a deep dive into exactly what the client is looking for. And we understand what if it's technical, if it's competency. So a lot of our work, not just for sourcing candidates, but it, a lot of it goes down to the actual interview, interview preparation. And that's where using a recruitment agency does make a bit, big difference because you can do a lot of time uh, preparing for that interview. So I guess that's the key thing for, for us is making sure they are fully prepared. And um, when they go into the interviews, asking good questions and, and making eye contact. And also towards the end of the interview as well, it's always important that you ask what is the next step in the interview process? Um, because a lot of people just say, thank you for your time and, and we'll be in touch. But I guess, especially your interest in all, if you ask that question, then the one thing you'll do is you'll, you'll show interest in the role, but also you'll um, get an idea of what your competition is like and also the time scale about what's going to happen in the next step. So I guess that's probably one of them, but there's, there's obviously others as well. Mm, that's a, that's a really, that's probably a, a light bulb moment for me today that asking what are the next steps? That's really helpful. Um, in terms of, you just said uh, asking good questions 
Um, and we do have a we have an episode on questions, but I'd love to hear from you from a, a recruiter standpoint. What is a good question that a candidate should be asking? Um, because I know that often what happens is at the end of an interview, the, the the interviewer will say, so what questions have you got? And people will usually say, tell me about your benefits package or they'll ask another question. So do you prep your people on, on, uh, on uh, the people that you're trying to place on good questions? Yeah, it's getting the mixture between, depending on what stage it is in the process, whether it's a panel interview or a first stage interview then and who you're interviewing with, whether it's HR or talent acquisition or actually the hiring manager. So it would vary um, from questions. So obviously it's more technical questions and particularly it's an area that we, we obviously specialize in. Having industry experts will definitely help them understand the te- kind of technical questions that maybe come up. If we work with that client before, we kind of have a, a good, we'll have an idea of how technical the questions are. Are they, is it specializing in particular therapy here with oncology, for example, whether it's working particular complex studies? Um, going back to the competency-based question, that's a lot more um, uh, subjective, I guess. And um, you're obviously talking about a specific example. So it, it's m- more about um, if it's a competency-based interview, it's all about start technique. So your situation, the task, uh, what you've achieved and, and what's what's the result. So giving, pl- um, giving plenty of examples. So it's more about um, opening conversation up rather than being very uh, one-dimensional in what you actually say. Mm, okay. And in just as you were talking about star technique, it got me thinking about process. Um, do you want your, uh, when you're sending out candidates, do you suggest that they're quite formal, quite informal? Because I know that I'm like super informal and in any interview process, like I'm the kid who's rocking up in trainers to an interview. So do you give people, like, if we've got people listening now that think, right, I'm going for an interview, what would be your like three top tips for how to be really successful in an interview? Uh, you obviously have to, I think you have to dress to impress, but ultimately you've got to know your audience as well. So if we know that client, we, we probably have been to the, the office. You have, you have, you know, you know, probably the setup of the office and how, how people are, are dressed so oh, you so can you kind of uh, work with knowledge well that's the benefit of, of, yeah. of users and agencies that you might have the inside knowledge from that perspective you might have met with the hiring managers before so you know what they're like you know what, how they address and um, I, I if i went to a client meeting for example i wouldn't rock up in a, a suit and a tie when i know the client is probably uh, smart casual so i think the probably the, the most neutral way to do it is just be smart casual um rather than kind of wear trainers i guess just you know converse probably would would probably get away with it um but yeah smart casual is probably the best way to do it i wouldn't i think suit and tie is probably over the top particularly on our sector within pharmaceutical um you know lots of these lots of the people are are a bit geeky in some respects so um they're gonna they're gonna be a bit more dressed down but i think you don't want to go down too dressed down you got to get that balance between you want to be professional in the interview you don't you don't want to you know, at, at some point in the interview, you might uh, talk about personal interests, hobbies, etc. But in general, you, you want to be professional and formal as much as you can. But then as the interview flows, then you can get more of a feeling actually this could be, it turns into a bit more informal and they're asking personal questions about um, what you like doing outside of work. Okay. Um, should you ever, my, this is my last question, should you ever bend the truth when you're in an interview? In what respects? Uh, can you give me an example? Yeah, so... Uh, salary expectations or, or the question what salary are you on um well i would never bend the truth from what salary you're on but you i guess one thing to get around is listen i'm i'm 
more interested in what the salary expect what the salary package looks like rather than just focusing on the basics on the basic salary what's the overall package look like because you might be on a, a relatively high salary compared to maybe what they're looking to pay but the overall package could be significantly better than what you're currently on at the moment so i think if you focus purely on the basic salary you could actually be doing yourself a bit of disservice um never want to lie because obviously where we do a lot of compliance and reference checking etc on our candidates so ultimately the client could easily ask for your um your, your last three uh, pay slips so and that'll obviously give it a game away and you lose the trust on it as well so i guess that maybe less focus on that but more focus on obviously what does the overall package look like um rather than i'm only on 50k but i want 90k Oh, nice. but, so like deflecting not deflecting the question but saying oh that's a that's a great question but let's focus on the the total compensation yeah excellent because that, that's that's important because yeah you could be on 50k and then get offered 60k but you're not going to get many benefits but then again if you actually look at it you might end up getting 70 or 80k it could make a big difference amazing all right final question mark when is your next triathlon and Okay, this is two question, two parter. When's your next triathlon, and which leg of it do you like the best? Um, well, I've got a half Ironman, which I've never done before. I've only done a triathlon, so there's like there's a bit of a difference between Olympic triathlon and and then the half Ironman. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it's in on four weeks' time. Um, probably the bike is probably my strongest. Um, running is not my strength, uh, and swimming I'm definitely getting better at, but. Uh, <laughs> As long as I can come out of the water safe, that's that's the most important thing. The bike is probably what I like most. And I think you're going to spend more time on the bike than anything else. So I think for anybody looking to do any kind of those type of events, the bike is probably the most important to where you can pick up time as against maybe the run or the, or the swim. Nice. Well, best of luck. I have very much enjoyed. I've definitely got a couple of light bulb moments from this. Um, so hopefully people listening have got, got the same as well. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know that you're a little bit poorly as well. So I really appreciate you taking the time out to, to come and geek out about all things recruitment with me. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Jennifer. I much appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Mark for coming on the podcast and talking about the four-day week and recruitment. I've got two light bulb moments from this episode today. The first one was about making sure that you ask what are the next steps at the end of an interview. And then the second one was about turning around that salary question to be a total compensation question. But I don't know about you, I'm not sure I could manage a four-day week because I'm a bit of a workaholic. Toodles! Toodles!